If you have your Bibles this morning, I would invite you to turn to John's Gospel, uh, John chapter 11 this morning, John chapter 11. We're going to continue our series, Come and See. Uh, It may not be a traditional Advent series, but yet at the same time, it is. Because what's this idea behind the Advent season? Come and see this baby that has been born. And so we're going to continue studying uh, John's gospel. Uh, And while you're turning, John chapter 11. Uh, Last week, if you remember, we finished John chapter 10, which was really the conclusion of Jesus' public ministry. Uh, 11 and 12 serve as a transition from a public to private setting for uh, Jesus' ministry. And I'm just going to be honest, when we get to chapter 11, we're going to have to wrestle with some really hard questions, some really hard uh, things as we we look at uh, the plan, the pain, and kind of the purpose. Uh, But I want to ask you this morning as we start, have you ever trusted somebody? I think we have. Uh, Have you ever trusted somebody you've never met or have never known or experienced? Sometimes. As a young college man... Right out of high school, I went to my college orientation. It was this little URE place. Pfeiffer had this little camp thing. It was called SOAR. And it was an acronym, but I don't remember the acronym, but it was just SOAR. Well, they had this activity to help these young high school kids develop trust amongst these new high school kids they're meeting for the first time. So we did the trust fall. Anybody ever done a trust fall? Yeah, it's really, you know, you just... I'm okay trusting someone I've never met when I'm just standing on the ground falling backwards. If I hit the ground, nothing new. I fall all the time. You know, you know, playing. I'm just not the most athletic. That's okay. And the person caught me. But then they had a little stump that may be, maybe about this high. And like, now we want you to stand on the stump and fall into two people. Well, now that's not quite as easy. But it's like, I got this. You know, it's, it's just, so we all did it. But then they had a stump it was about this high. Not quite my height, but you know, about right here. And they said, stand on that stump and fall into everybody who has their arms interlocked. Now, a few of the smaller individuals did. And it was fine. We caught them, no problem. It got to be my turn. The director of this little project said, Trent, you're up. I said, not a chance. <laughs> I, he looked at me. He's like, yes, you've got to. Now, this is what he said. He goes, you've got to learn to soar. I said, I ain't got no wings. They wanted me to trust these little bitty kids, mostly girls, by the way. Not not that that's a problem, but I'm not the smallest individual. So, and and I said, I haven't seen them work out. I haven't been to the gym with them. I haven't seen them throw up 200 pounds on the bench press. I don't trust them. And I didn't. I did not do it. Okay. I just, I've had concussions. I wasn't having another one. And, And so I did not do it. So I failed the orientation class. But you know what? I didn't break anything. I walked away. Well, everybody walked away. But I did not trust them because I didn't know them. Well, our passage today really deals with trust. And you've got these two ladies, this family, who they actually trust Jesus because they've been with Jesus. They've experienced him. If Jesus would have went to the gym, they would have seen him work out and throw up the 225. They would have done the trust fall to let Jesus catch because Jesus doesn't drop anybody, Right? And so they developed this plan in the midst of this very hard, grief-stricken situation because they trust 
Jesus. They trust him. So let's just start reading. We'll walk through this passage today. Verse 1. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. These sisters sent a message to him, to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. So right out of the gate, they teach us something very important. When we're dealing with hard situations, the first place to go is to Jesus. That was their plan. They trusted him. They had seen him heal people. They had heard him teach. And in this desperate situation with their brother being sick and on his deathbed, they trusted Jesus. And they, they, what we would call prayed to Jesus. They trusted that he would heal their brother. They trusted in him. When life throws us these curveballs, when we, and maybe it's death, maybe it's a struggle within our uh, relationships with families or friends or works, uh, or, or maybe it's something that we're just longing for in our hearts that we desperately need and desperately want, the first place to go is to Jesus. The first place is to cry out and say, Lord, the one you love, whether it's a mother, a brother, a sister, a friend, yourself, the one you love is sick. The one you love is struggling and I need help. That's the plan that Mary and Martha have. That's the plan that we should have when we are facing difficulties in our life because we can trust Jesus. We can all think of times when Jesus has got us through something. If, we, if we're saturating our souls with the scriptures, we can read about what he teaches and we can trust that he has a plan and a purpose and it's good for us. All too often, I, I, I'm as guilty as anybody. When a problem comes up, I am the problem solver. I like to solve it myself. I like to sit down and, and write out all the different ways I can solve this problem. But the first thing that we need to do is go to Jesus. It doesn't mean we, we don't sit down and write and do that, but we let Jesus guide us. So that's what Mary and Martha do. Their brother's sick. So they send a message to Jesus who, who's a, a ways away. And verse 4, it continues. Jesus heard it and he said, This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man, or that the Son of God, may be glorified through it. Now you're like, that's awesome. Jesus is going to heal this man, and God's going to be glorified. The prayer is going to be answered. In verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judah again. I want you to let that sink in. Jesus heard the request. He's obviously know, he obviously knows that this is going to turn out for the glory of God, and he decides to wait two days. He decides to wait. 
Now listen, there are people here who are in this period of waiting in your life. I just got to tell you, my favorite country song, me and Jennifer argue about this all the time. My favorite country song is Garth Brooks' Unanswered Prayers. Now, she doesn't like it because she says that God never, or that God always answers prayers. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. Now, my wife is right all the time. <laughs> In fact, little rabbit chasing here. For the, for the parade this past week, she had told me to do something that would have made the candy throwing a little bit better for our parade we were in, and I didn't listen. And there were people on the float that heard me say, I should have listened to you. Because she's always right. So she's right. God always answers prayers. But here's what you need to understand. This is what I like about the song. Uh, the song is dealing with, hey, I prayed really, really hard when I was in high school. This girl would, would marry me. I wanted her to be my, my whole life. And we broke up. And now I'm married to this lady. And so I'm thankful that God didn't answer that prayer. But God did answer that prayer. He said no. There are times when we are crying out to God. We are pleading with God. And, and he says No. And we don't always understand why we get a no answer. We don't, understand, we don't always end the moment in our, you know, have it your way immediately right now world. We don't always understand why it's a no. But 20 years from now, you're going to understand it. And I, I've told this story. I'm your pastor because God said no to me on several prayers. I wanted to play college football. I, wanted to go, I prayed that I would play college football, and I prayed, and I was ready to go to Guilford College to play football. And they just couldn't give me enough money. College is expensive, right? And so I went to the one school. I mean, God said, no, you're not going to play college football. One, you're 5'6", you're and you're, you're just not very good. But the Lord told me that. And he's right. I trusted him. And so I went to the one school I said I would never, ever, 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 ever go to, Pfeiffer. Lord has a sense of humor about that. When you tell him you're not going to do something, he says, oh, yes, you will. Well, first day on campus, I met Jennifer, and the rest is history. It's been all day telling you how that led to me being here. Uh, the quick of it is, she lived in Stanley County. Rodney was from Stanley County. Rodney was on the search committee and was best friends with the chairman of the deacons at Pleasant Grove. So... The Lord has ways of working. So when he says no, you might not always see it for a long time. But you know, the Lord also says yes. And we're like, yay. Sometimes the Lord says wait. And man, that's, that's hard. It's like, I know he hasn't said no. And, and he hasn't said no in our text. He has said wait. Lazarus, these are his friends, people he spent time with. And he says, wait. So he delayed for two days. Sometimes the Lord says, wait. Now I want you to listen to me. In the waiting, it is so hard to keep trusting. It is in the waiting where we begin to think we're standing on a pedestal that's really high and we don't want to fall off because we don't trust that he's going to catch us. But I want you to listen to the story. And I want you to, even in the waiting, God is still trustworthy. Even, in, in, even though we had a plan and we did what we were supposed to do by crying out to the Lord and he says, wait. Trust him. Don't give up. 
on what he is doing and the work that he is doing. So continue in verse 7. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judah again. Now, I love the disciples. They throw this in. Rabbi. Now, you're going to want to keep verse 8 in your mind when we get kind of down to the end. Uh, it's just a funny thing happens. Then verse 8. The disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you want to go back there again. Seems reasonable. The disciples are saying, hey, Jesus, they want to kill you. Why do you want to go back there? And Jesus says, aren't there 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does not stumble because the light is not in him. Now what Jesus is, he's teaching a lesson. This is a little like a little subplot sermon here. The disciples seem to not be trusting Right? They're not trusting the instructions of Jesus. They're like, why are we going to go back there? And Jesus says, trust me, I got this. And then he makes this point. He's like, are there not 12 hours in a day? That is a cultural reference. In that culture, if the sun was up, the people worked. Okay? It wasn't like, you know, I'm going to work for like eight hours then go sit in the recliner and watch baseball or hockey the rest of the night. Right? It was, if the sun is up, we have work to do. What Jesus is saying is, I am still here. The light of the world is still shining. There is still work for me to do. In a few months, I'm not going to be here physically anymore. I'm going to be gone. But there is work for me to do. I'm going to go do it because it's going to bring glory to God. And so he gives us them this little lesson of trust and that the work still has to continue. By the way, church, listen, there's work for us to do. And as long as the church is still in existence, the sun is still shining, there is work for us to do. It's not a time to just sit back and relax. It's a lesson for all of us to trust the Lord's guidance and continue to do the work that we have been called to do. So verse 11, Jesus says that our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. He's talking about death. Uh, the disciples don't understand this in verse 12. Uh, verse 13, Jesus, however, uh, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. In verse 14, so Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Verse 16 is awesome. Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, well, Let's go too, so that we may die with him. I just find that this is why the Bible's true. If this was made up, that wouldn't be in there, right? I mean, you just got one of the disciples like, oh, well, he's determined to go. They're going to stone him. They'll stone us too while we're there. So I just, I'm sorry. I just find that great. The Bible is so awesome. So verse 17, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been dead and in the tomb for four days. Significant. Four days is significant. That means he's really dead. Okay? There's not, if it was one day or two days, people would have said, well, maybe he was just really, really sick. No. He's been dead for four days. There's no life in Lazarus. So that's really significant. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews were there. Mary and Martha uh, were there to comfort Mary and Martha. Uh, uh, another interesting historical fact, they had professional mourners. So after you know, the person was really dead, these professional mourners would come in and they would wail and cry and apparently that was comforting to the family. 
And so you've got the Jewish people there comforting Mary and Martha. Uh, their brother is dead. The professional mourners are there mourning over him. And verse 20, now this is where, again, we're just getting a lot of context. Okay, but just, just keep going with me. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord. Now, I do believe there is a touch of anger here. Okay, not sinful anger, but I, I believe she's frustrated. It says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many of you have been there? Where you have prayed and prayed and prayed. And you're, some of you are still praying. This is such a human response. And I love that these stories are in the Bible because we see that, that they did everything they were supposed to do. They trusted Jesus. They prayed. They cried out. He waited. And she's not happy. She's grieving. She's frustrated. There have been times in my life I've been there. I've been walking in the woods or on the street or by myself. And I said, God, what are you doing? And it's okay to have those conversations. As long as we don't lose our trust. It's okay to say, God, I don't get it. I don't get why I've, been, I've done everything I'm supposed to do and, and now it's not turning out the way I wanted it. And now you show up. It's okay to have that kind of emotion. And so she is angry. She is upset. She is grieving, but she does not stop trusting. Look at verse 22. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Don't miss that she never loses trust in the Lord, even though she's angry. And Jesus comforts her. He says, your brother will rise again. And I wish I had that. You just know Jesus had the most calming voice of anybody in humanity. You just know that in this scene, he wrapped her up in his arms and he said, it's okay. It's okay. Now, she is very spiritual. And she says, well, I know he'll rise again at the, at the resurrection. I know that he'll be resurrected. And this is where we get another I am statement where Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And even though there is going to be a miracle in the following verses, I think this is really important for us to understand. That even though our earthly bodies are destined to die, from the moment we're born, we're dying. Some of us die young, some of us die old, but nobody lives forever. We all die. Lazarus is going to be brought back to dead in here in just a little bit, but can I tell you something? He still died. The truth is that Jesus says, I am the resurrection. The one who believes in me, even though he dies, will live. He will live. When we believe in Jesus, we're given eternal life. Abundant life, abundant joy. But he says, you will, even though your bodies, these shells, these turtle shells that you live in, they will perish, they will die, they will decay. But if you believe in me, you, your soul, will live forever in heaven. Because I am the resurrection. And this also points towards one day there will be a bodily resurrection. One day the Lord is going to return and the dead in Christ will arise first. I had a professor in seminary tell me, he's like, what you look like when you die is probably what you're going to look like for all eternity. 
it'll just be in a very glorified, perfect state. I said, oh, no. That's why I work out with Jeremy twice a week, (laughs) right? I don't know if that's true, but I just, there is going to be a resurrection. And so she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God who comes into the world. And having said this, she went back. She called her sister Mary. And the teacher is here and is calling for you. Now remember, Martha, she's showing her grief with frustration and anger. Mary just stayed seated. And as soon as Mary heard this, she got up, quickly went to him. And Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still with the people uh, where Martha Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house uh, consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now this is an emotional, this is a grief-stricken sister filled with tears. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He says, where have you put him, he asked. And Lord, they told him, come and see. In the shortest verse in all of Scripture, Jesus wept. I want you to really see this. He's the resurrection and the life. He is fully God. He is deity. In him there is eternal life. But look at him. He wept. This is the humanity of Jesus on full display. This is Jesus saying, I get it. I understand what you're going through. He was my friend too. I am grieved by what has happened. The one we are to cry out to, the person that we're to trust in, He understands us. In those moments of frustration, in those moments of waiting, in those times where he says no, don't forget that he understands you. He gets that you're upset. He gets that you're sad and angry. He understands it because he was human. And so he wept. When you cry out to him in anger or frustration or in sadness, he understands it. He understands it. So verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? There's always going to be haters. There's always going to be people who question. In verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. He said, remove the stone." Martha, the dead dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead for four days. And Jesus says, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because the crowd was standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bounded hand and foot with linen strips. 
And with his face wrapped in cloth, Jesus said, unwrap him and let him go. This is the seventh miracle that John records to us. And it points to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's coming. But here's what I really want you to understand today. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our waiting, Jesus always has a purpose. The pain that we may be experiencing, Jesus has a purpose. The purpose here was so that people would know God sent him. Uh, The purpose here is for people to believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he was because nobody else has ever raised anybody from the dead. The purpose from the beginning was to bring glory to God. So I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what you're praying for, what you're pleading with, or what has been said no, or what you're waiting on. But understand, Jesus still has a purpose. Jesus still has a plan for your life. You just have to trust it. And and again, it may take 20, 30 years for you to see it. And we don't like to wait that long. Jesus has a purpose. Jesus can see something that we can't, and that's the future. When we want to hurry and run down this path to that destination, we can't see that there's a whole lot of rocks down there. And Jesus says, if you just wait and take this path, it'll be a little smoother. Now, the waiting's hard. Don't misunderstand. But he knows what's best for you. He knows what he has in store for your life. So the question that I'll just leave you with today, if you're standing on the pole, are you ready to fall off into the arms of Jesus and say, I don't understand it. I'm frustrated with it. I'm upset with it. But I know you have a plan and a purpose. I just encourage you to do that. And just cry out to God like these ladies. Say, God, what's going on? But then maybe you're here today and maybe it's your first time ever hearing this idea that Jesus is the resurrection. You know, we face death a lot in this world. Friends die, family members die, loved ones die. And this is such a comforting verse. It says, I am the resurrection. But you have to believe in this. It is only those who believe in this that go to heaven. It's only those who believe that have eternal life. This is the gospel. That we are separated from God because of our sin, but because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, he gives new life to those who will believe. To those who will surrender their life. To those who let Jesus take our lives and lead us the way that he wants us to go. So have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you made the decision to follow him? During our time of invitation, if that is a decision that you need to make today, I would love to pray with you down front. You, can, you don't have to pray with me. You can pray where you're at or down here. You can just give it to the Lord. And you say, God, forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life. But maybe you're here and you're in the season of waiting. It's a good day to come cry out to the Lord also. Lord, help me to understand. 
Lord, show me just a glimpse of what you have in store for me. Lord, trust me, or help me to trust you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truth, the promise that you answer all of our prayers. Sometimes it's with a no, sometimes it's with a wait. But Father, it's all for our good because it brings you glory when we surrender our life and trust you. So Father, help us to hold tight to the promises of Scripture. Help us to trust that while we wait, you are working because you have a purpose. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.